You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. That is a great song. Daniel shared that song with me this week when we were thinking about how to lead and serve you guys this week. Um, first time I'd ever heard it. And uh, we'll sing it again after um, we take communion. We're, we're going to end our time again singing and celebrating the gospel. I did not know exactly how to begin today. Um, after being off for a week, you know, we, we had done Philippians and we were doing Philippians. We took a break for Advent and we, were, we celebrated Advent and all that that meant all throughout the month, and I was off, and I was going to come back, and we were going to talk, sort of get back into Philippians, and and, uh, last Saturday, I got a call, and my dad had fallen, and he was, he was without, I don't know what other words to use, he just was incapable of doing anything, and so we had to call 911, we got him to the hospital, we've been in the hospital most of the week, and we placed him uh, under hospice care, Um, when was that? Thursday, Thursday night. So, so we are counting down the days, uh, literally the hours, the minutes, uh, for that song to be celebrated in a reality with my family, and it's beautiful. And I was thinking about, okay, what do as this week? I was thinking, we I can't just jump into Philippians chapter two, um, and then I remembered we had made a commitment that we're doing communion the first Sunday of every month, and it's really good for the church to submit to a plan at times and times like this. And I thought, what a great opportunity for my own soul, for my own heart, to think of the promises of Christ that are given to us when he issued the Lord's Supper. And so it is with great joy that we look at this text today. I have great joy in knowing what we're dealing with. I don't know what you're dealing with, how you closed out 2017 and what you're looking forward to 2018, but I'm going to be really bold here, and I'm going to ask you, and I'm inviting you to have communion with Christ throughout the year in 2018. And today what we're going to look at is, what does that mean We see the Lord's Supper, we talk about communion, whatever church you come from, what does it mean to have communion with God? And what does this event mean for us? So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, because I really need his help to do this. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. You have chosen to send us your Son to save us, to redeem us, to pay for us, to make a way for us. And he has promised several things. One of the things he has promised for us is that where he is going, he is going to prepare a place for us. And one of the things, God, that your son has done for us is he told us and gave to us his life and his blood that we would remember his work, and his words. So I pray that you would help us do that this morning and this whole year, Lord. And I pray that throughout 2018, lives are changed, families are brought back together, 
and people are made whole and they are made free because of their choice to have communion with you all year long. Do that work, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen. There are historical traditions, different denominations, practice communion differently. What has happened and what do we do when we talk about the Lord's Supper? Well, the Roman Catholic Church uses a word called transubstantiation. That's a big fancy word. You'll probably never use that in your blogging or on your Twitter feed. Um, I'm surprised about what's used on Twitter feed now, so maybe you will. Uh, But here's what that means. Here's how they practice communion. According to the Roman Catholic Church, what they believe happens is the bread and the wine, that's what the elements are, literally, like literally actually turn into the body and the blood of Christ. The priest holds up the bread, and when the priest, and only the priest, says, this is my body, then at that moment, in some traditions, there's a chime, there's a bell, And at that moment, the bread actually turns into the body and the wine, they use real wine, um, and the wine actually turns into the blood. And when I was learning this in school, I was remembering, and forgive me, but this is what actually came to my mind. I had the picture of Tinkerbell, like, on the Disney, you know, the old, whenever she does the little ding and then it just sparkles all this stuff. And this helped me remember sort of this tradition. And it's weird because you don't see any of that in the copy of Scripture. The literal translate, the literal coming to bread, coming to life is what the Catholics believe. Luther, Martin Luther came along. He believed in consubstantiation, which simply means sort of that the body of Christ means that Christ is in and with and under the bread. That the presence of Christ doesn't actually become the bread, but it kind of becomes all involved with the bread, which is still weird. A lot of people describe it as like a sponge, so Lutherans, uh, like, like a sponge, the bread is the sponge, and, and if you were to wring out the sponge, what's in the sponge is what comes out. So like water is in it and through it and around it, and you put the sponge down and water comes out of it. So there's that, that kind of metaphor that Luther and the Lutherans practice. Protestants, which is us, we believe in symbolic presence. We believe that what we read in these scriptures, we're going to look at them again, are symbols. They're elements of the Lord's Supper that serve to remind us what it means to be in communion with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The bread and the wine do not miraculously turn into the body, do not miraculously turn into the literal blood of Christ. We believe that because it did not do that the first time. Christ did not slice off Part of his body. He did not literally give his blood away. He used symbols. Here's the bread, here's the cup, and that's what we believe. We also believe, unlike the Roman Catholic Church, it doesn't have to be a priest or an elder or a pastor that stands before you and says, This is the body, this is the cup. This could be practiced in homes. This could be practiced as you go. We believe in the priesthood of the believers. And so where you are, you can have communion 
as long as you do it rightly. We know this to be true because in Corinthians, we're going to look at this in a minute, this passage in a minute, these people were practicing communion haphazardly. They were just in their homes and they would just do it and there wasn't some official priest doing this or doing that. And Paul talks to them about how they're doing it haphazardly and he doesn't talk to them that they're doing it without a priest. He just sort of says this is sort of the norm that people are doing this in their homes. That's just what is expected. And so we do it in the church. We've decided to do it once a month. And we believe these elements are reminders for us that Christ ordained. And he ordained these reminders to serve us in some way. That's what he's doing. It. He is serving his followers with something important, with some memories. And like all people, we should be asking, what does it communion do? What is it that it's serving us to do? What are we to remember with this? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what it is we declare when we take communion, because that's essentially what we're doing. We're going to take this. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to take this, and you're declaring something. You're professing something. You're making a statement of something. So what is it we're professing? That's what we're answering today. We're doing this. Basically, one, we believe in him. We're declaring we will follow him. And we're declaring we will unite with him and his church. Let's take them one at a time. We believe in him. We declare when we take communion that we believe him. We believe Christ. What we mean is two things. We believe who he is. That's what Advent was all about. We believe he is Emmanuel. He is God come to us. He is God the Savior. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God. Remember, we spent several weeks in John 3.16 talking about this promise, this gift. He is the answer that we've hoped for. We believe that's who he is. But what we also mean when we say we believe him, we mean we believe what he said. Often when we talk about believing somebody, really what we're saying is do we believe what they're saying? Do we believe what they're they're putting out there? Do we believe their comments? Do we believe their tweets, their social media? Are they true? So what was it Jesus is saying here when he issued and gave the bread and the cup? Do we believe it? Let's look at it. Verse 15 and 16. We read this. He says, Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he's giving them something. He's saying, I want you to believe what I'm saying. First of all, we see this. This is what he's saying. He is saying, I want this and I want this for you. He's reclining at a table. Unlike the picture, you know, the famous picture of the Last Supper, Jesus is not sitting upright and everybody leaning in, okay, like they're trying to get a photo op. Uh, that's not what's happening. The way they would recline at the table, the tables were about this big where they were, and he would lean in, they would lean on their shoulders and their feet always away from the table, never toward the table. And so you picture Jesus sort of leaning in, leaning down on his left elbow and sort of taking the bread 
and pastor, he, they're leaning their faces, their heads, they've come together, and he is intimately saying, here's what he's saying, I desire to do this for you. I desire to do this. I desire to do this with you. And so taking it is, I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you desire this for us. Secondly, we see when he says this, Jesus is saying, I have a plan. I have planned this meal, and just as I have planned this meal, I have planned my coming suffering. Look with me. He says, for I tell you, well, go back up to verse 15. I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat again until the fulfillment, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus is declaring informally, lounging around with his guys, saying, I, this is special. I want it to be special to you. And I planned this and I planned what's coming next. Remember this. My body is yours. My cup, my blood is yours. And I planned it all. Another thing we see in this text, in verse 16, he says, I tell you, I won't eat again until it's fulfilled. Basically making the statement, it's about to go down. It's happening. Everything I've been warning you about, everything I've been preparing you for, everything I've been telling you, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you, I want this for you. I want to tell you that I planned this for you, and I planned what's coming up next, and oh, by the way, it's, it's happening. Like, there won't be a nightfall before this starts. I won't eat again. It's on. The other, he says more. In verse 17 and 18, he says, Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this, share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He is saying it is important that what I'm doing with you now is shared. I want you to take this. I want you to pass it. I want you to share it with others. As I'm sharing this with you, I want you to take it and share it with each other and with others. And then again, he emphasizes in verse 18, the time has now come. So to believe Christ is to believe that the kingdom of God is fulfilled only by what's about to happen. He is saying here, I will not eat again, I will not drink again until the kingdom of God comes. And then he, remember he said, I'm going to suffer and then it's coming. So when we say I, I'm taking communion, I believe what Jesus said, we are saying I'm believing that there is no other way to the kingdom of God except through the suffering Christ. That is so important. That's why communion is special for the Christian church. Because other, other places, other sects of faith don't believe that's the path to the kingdom of God. When we take communion, we're saying, I believe the path. I will share it with others. I believe it will come through the suffering of Christ. Now think about the significance of this. Today, 2018, it's like, okay, yeah, we get that. But imagine you're there. 
Imagine, remember, we just talked about how important Advent was. They have been prophesying about a king that's coming and his kingdom. They've been prophesying about a Messiah that's coming to save and rescue them. They've been prophesying about this hero, this Hebrew hero that was going to come and save the day. And here he is saying, I'm about to lay down my life, and then the kingdom will come. So when these people were taking communion in the early church, imagine the Jewish people, the Hebrew people who were believing, they were making a bold statement, saying the only way to God is not through obedience in the law, but it's through Jesus who fulfilled the law. We believe what Jesus said that's what we do when we take communion. I know that's deep. I know that's heavy. But that's what we're doing. We're professing, I believe him. And I believe what he said. And then we come to verse 19 and 20. And we see these words. Imagine you're one of the apostles and you're taking the bread out of his hand. He says, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. A couple things that he's saying there that we need to profess, that we believe. To take the bread and to drink the cup is saying to the master, not only do I believe in what you did, all the miracles, all the work, not only do I believe in what you've said in the past, that you forgave those sins and you healed that person, but it's also to say that I believe you're giving your body. Remember, they are about to watch their master get arrested. They're about to see a mob come. They're about to see him dragged off. They're about to, for those who are sticking around, will see him abused and they will see him hanged and murdered. And Jesus has the audacity to say, I planned this. And I want you to believe that I'm giving my body away. Oh, that's so important. Jesus wants us to believe when we take communion that this was a gift of his life. No one took it. No one stole it. No one robbed him of it. This was his plan forever for you. I'm giving it to you. When we take communion, we're saying, we're declaring that we believe that he gave his life, he spilled his blood for me, for me. I don't know about you, but that should radically change how you feel about yourself in 2018. It just should. It should affect your worldview, your personal worldview. It is to say that we believe in who he is, we believe in what he's said. Communion does another thing. As we consider the words of Jesus, and we say we believe in the words of Jesus, we then are saying in our communion time, not only do we believe you, but we will follow you. This is important. Taking these elements is making the statement that we will follow Jesus. We will walk in his ways. We will look to him as our not only our master, but this is where we use the word. We will look to him as our Lord. We're going to want to walk in his ways, follow him, deny ourselves, as he said 
take up our cross and follow him. When others are wanting to lead us to accept this lifestyle or that lifestyle or settle for certain sins or promote certain agendas and religion, any other way that than other through the, the cross of Christ, we will say no, we will follow Jesus, no matter what it costs us. It may cost us popularity. It may mean that we're not in the in crowd. It might mean that we don't have as many social media likes because I can't like that. I'm not going to support that. I'm not going to be friends with that. I'm not going to connect myself with that. I'm a follower of Jesus. Why? Because I took communion and I took his breath, took his life. I took the blood and that's who I am. I'm following Jesus. When we take communion, we are making the decision today that we will follow Christ. Thirdly, not only do we believe him, not only are we going to follow him, we are saying with communion, we are declaring, we unite together. We unite with him. We associate with him and we associate with his bride, the church. We commune with him and we do it together. We are united in what we believe and we do it together. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians and we're going to look at chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, Corinthian, the, the church in Corinth is a fascinating story. It's a story of of grace, it's a story of great theology, it's a story of how not to do things. Okay, if you ever want to do church growth, look at 1 Corinthians and go, okay, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. And, and you can actually do that with a lot of churches. But in Corinth, what we have here is we have the church, which started well, began to get disunified. They were assembling, and they were grumbling, and they were competing, and they weren't doing things together, and that began to hurt people and cause people to distrust the church. And at the heart of the letter, in chapter 10, Paul goes after this. And I believe that a remedy for disunity in the church is the frequency and the attention that we give to communion. Here's what Paul says, verse 14. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? And because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since we all share the one bread. We identify with God, we identify with Christ when we take this, and we're saying we're one with him, and we're not going to be haphazard in how we do it. The reason why I read that text is because what Paul does in chapter 11, he goes after the way that they're doing the Lord's Supper. Let me just give you a little history lesson of what was going on. Because it's not about a priest holding up a piece of bread and saying, ta-da! It's about the believers gathered together and saying, yes, we believe, we believe, and they would have communion in their homes. 
And what would happen, just like now, people who would arrive at a home when it was the time to do this, and they would arrive earlier than those who were maybe working in the fields, those who maybe had lower income, who had to work longer, harder hours, who maybe were even slaves and couldn't even be free until, <clears throat> excuse me, until at night. And so they would arrive a little later. When those who came later would arrive, the meal's already been passed out. In fact, Paul even accused them of drinking so much wine that they would be drunk. And so they were not paying attention to this. Disunity was happening, and it was de devaluing the unity that we should have as a church family in Christ. And so Paul calls them, like we should also learn, he calls them to get their act together. Have you ever heard people say, I just don't want to go to church. I've been hurt by the church. I don't trust the church. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've said that in 2017 where he's like, I just don't trust the church. And how many of you have been involved in a church where you've been to meetings or you've been to things and you've seen like there you walked in, like people don't like each other. They're not unified. I mean, I've been a part of churches like that. And, and it's just ugly. And it's intense. And, and if a, a lost person comes in and sees that, what are they portraying? So, what I believe, Paul's remedy for that, Christ's remedy for that, is communion. Frequent communion together, realizing, no, we're united in the body. We're united because of the blood of Christ. That's what unites us. So, Paul, in chapter 11, he tells them how they should do it. Here's what you should say. Here's what you should do. We'll do that in a minute. But then check out verse 27 through 33 with me if you would of chapter 11 sorry so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be what guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the lord this is important for us here let a person examine himself in this way let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I'm going to be bold enough to say what's next. I didn't write this. This is the holy word of God. This is why, verse 30, many are sick. And ill among you. And many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves. Get that? Instead of judging everybody else. If you're properly judging yourself at the time of communion. If you're properly judging yourself. We would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord. We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. When we take communion, we declare, we believe him, we declare we will follow him, we declare we will unite together with him. This is so important. We need to examine ourselves. And if we don't, 
we are taking advantage and making a mockery of what Christ died for, the church. And when you walk into the church and you see that disunity, you know what you can ask? Do they take communion seriously? You should ask that. Here's what this looks like practically. There was a time, not too long ago actually, that it was in a church and there were some really, really difficult seasons for me and my family and the church and there were some people that were believing some lies and, and distorting some truths and some things. Instead of coming to me, they were spreading this about me and it was really bad, it was really hurtful, it was not really healthy for the church. And when I would try to pursue what I knew I could pursue, and I tried to talk to people about it, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. And then came communion time. And we're sitting there, and I know what this scripture says. And I'm watching all these people partake of communion that I know this week said several things bad against me. My heart's breaking. Why is it breaking? It's breaking for them. I'm like, how could they take that? I chose not to take the bread and the wine or the juice. I just chose to sit there and I prayed and I asked the Lord again and again and again, Lord, give me a chance to reconcile with them. They won't listen to me. They won't talk to me. I want to do that. I'm sure not taking communion until this is resolved. I don't want to mention the things that took place in some of their lives after this true stuff that breaks my heart. What I want to say to you is a warning as a pastor. Listen to the word of God. Don't take communion. If you're not willing to say, I believe Christ. Don't take, I keep pointing back, I'm sorry. I keep pointing back there because that's where the, the table is. You're probably like, why does he keep pointing at me? Cheryl's like, why is he pointing at me the whole time? Anyway, back there is where the table is. And so anyway, that's why I'm doing that. Um, but I'm warning you, lovingly, don't do this if you don't believe Jesus. Don't do this if you don't want to follow Jesus. And don't do this if you have disunity with somebody in this church family. Paul's evaluate that when we take communion that's what we're professing we take communion we're saying to the world all is right with my church all is right with my unity with each other all is right with my following christ i'm not perfect i'm imperfect but i'm at least trying to follow him he's my compass he's setting my path and i believe him this is the Lord's Supper. So I want you to receive this as an invitation. Remember, if you sit there and you think unworthy to receive this, Jesus gave this to the 12. In that room is Judas, who's just about to betray him. In that room is Peter, who just gets in an argument right after this with the apostles about who's going to be greater and who's getting more fame and I will never deny you so it's pride, full of pride. 
Jesus is offering this to you. The invitation is God sending his son to you saying, I want you to believe me. I want you to follow me. I want you to unite with me. And I want you to have life forever. This is what communion is for us. This is a time for us to appreciate the overwhelming generosity of God. He gave his son. He planned his son's death. He gave it to us and then invites us to eat with him. There is no need, in my opinion, for rededications in life. You ever been to camp, come back from camp, or been to an event, come back and say, I'm going to walk the aisle and rededicate my life. We feel good about that, right? Like, I'm going to make a statement to the church. They know I've sinned. I'm going to go ahead and get it out there. I've sinned, and I'm going to rededicate my life, new purpose. You know why I don't believe that's necessary? Because this is what rededication is. When we take communion, that's the time of reevaluation, reexamining rededicate no matter what you've done no matter where you've been maybe 2017 was just a horrible scarring painful year for you of sin of addictions of depravity and you look back and go how could I even now as Jason's talking and he's I'm hearing about the blood of Christ how could I have ever done that I say to you that's why he's giving this to you because you need him to so what no matter where you've been no matter what you've done, no matter what condition of your family's in, you can say today a rededication, a reaffirmation, Lord, today I'm starting. I'm going to follow you. I believe in you. I'm going to have hope. I'm going to unite with you. That's why we should do this often. That's why we will. So the Lord's Supper is our New Year's resolution. We will commune with Christ in 2018. I'm going to give you a chance we're just going to be still. We're going to be quiet. I just want to give you the chance to ponder this invitation. So go ahead and sort of just however you want to be. You can bow your head. You can close your eyes. You can kneel. You can come up here and kneel if you want to. The elders, I'm going to ask the elders to come sit on the front row. And maybe you just want to come pray with somebody. This is a chance for you to come and just be prayed for. This is an invitation for you to examine your life. Don't examine your wife's life. Don't examine your husband's life. Don't examine your kid's life. Examine your life. Ask these questions. Will I believe Jesus in 2018? Will I follow Jesus in 2018? Will I unite with him and his church in 2018.